Oh, man, let's praise God for his presence here on this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. I'm going to apologize right up front because I got a lot in me and I don't know what's coming out. Uh, first, want to praise God for being here on this morning and part of this great church family. It's good to see your smiling faces here on today. And if you're not smiling yet, you will be. Amen. I prophesy that right now in the name of Jesus. Give honor to my wife, who is not here with me. Aww. Yeah, aww. Really cutlass. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Folks back in the day used to say, hold my mule, hold my mule. <laughs> okay. I'm kind of like caught up right now, so I need to kind of come down a little bit. Yes, yes. Okay. On this morning, you know, this word expectation has been said a lot. I've even heard the word eager expectation. And that just happens to be what we're going to talk about on today. The earnest expectation of the kingdom. Been hearing this word kingdom a lot as well. Over the past 14 weeks, pastor has been preaching on the kingdom of God, talking about its characteristics, either that or its relationship to us or our relationship to the kingdom of God. Now, those of us who have received Christ, we exist in relationship to the kingdom in three ways. We've been placed into the kingdom of God's dear son, according to Colossians Chapter 1, verse 13. We've been given a kingdom. According to Luke, chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little ones, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Then lastly, we have been instructed to seek or pursue a kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Those things that concern you. Like on this morning, we're talking about healing broken hearts, as well as hearts that may have problems. These are things that are added to us because these things occur when the kingdom of God shows up. But the third one kind of raises a question. If we've been placed into a kingdom as well as been given a kingdom, why do we have to seek or pursue a kingdom? The word seek means to exactly what we assume it will mean, to go after. But it also carries the added meaning to crave or greatly desire something. How many have greatly desired something to the point where you crave it? And I'm not just talking about food. <laughs> but years ago when I was a single man and I was dating this young lady and 
I went TDY or temporary duty over in Germany. And I was hanging out with this guy. He was a good friend of mine. And we were just kind of walking down the streets of Germany. And I was becoming really, really frustrated. And he was like, dude, what's up with you? What is going on with you? And I couldn't explain it to him until I thought about this young lady. And I knew what the problem was. I wanted her. I wanted her. I wanted to be with her. Not just in the biblical way, but be with her, have her by my side. So I greatly desired her. And while I was in Germany, I made up my mind that the next time I saw her, I was going to propose. See, that desire moved me to do something, to go after something. And so I did. And guess what? 31 years later, she's still with me. See, as believers, we've been given a taste of the kingdom. But how many want the whole pie? That's what we want. We want the whole pie. So God expects us to go after the kingdom with our whole hearts, looking for the day when we will receive it in its fullness. Now, it's about to be football season, right? So imagine a high school football player plays for Central, and they have this great desire to play in the NFL. They're good enough to get a scholarship. Now, I know I'm going to bless some people with this, and I'm going to offend others. But the scholarship was to the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah. Longhorn. <laughs> I hear some no's out there. Is there A&M a fans in here? Red Raider fans in here? Oh, OK. Oh, I see you, Victor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Let me move on. <laughs> This gentleman is so good that he gets drafted, and I should get everybody praising in here on this one. He gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. So he has fulfilled his dream of making it to the NFL, but he's not satisfied. Because he knows that once he gets to the NFL, he's just tasting his destination now. He wants to become an all-pro, and he wants to win Super Bowls. Well, guess what? When we come into the kingdom of God, we're just like that individual. We've just tasted. We're in, yes, and that's great. But there's so much more to come. There's so much more to come. And here is the thing. You need to have that desire because that desire will drive you. It will govern how you live. It will lead you to make the right choices, greatly desiring the kingdom of God. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. But you guys have been around me long enough to know that ain't the only place we're going to go. This is just a jumping off point. 
Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18, and I'm reading from the New King, New King James Version. The Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church at Rome. He greatly desires to visit them, but he hasn't had the opportunity just yet. But he's heard about the work that God is doing there. And so he greatly desires to, to pass on what God has given him to them. So starting at verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That's you. That's me. But the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So this morning I want to talk about the earnest expectation of the kingdom. Now, before we get into this, it's kind of difficult for me to stand in one place. <laughs> in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the struggle that every believer has with sin. Especially when we first get saved and we're trying to figure out how to walk in the spirit versus walking according to the flesh. And he reaches a point of frustration. If you read, look at verse 24 in Romans 7, it says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But Paul knew it wasn't over. In fact, victory had already been won. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus has obtained the victory for us. We're just learning how to walk in that victory. So then he goes into Romans chapter 8, and if you notice here in verse 1, it's kind of a continuation of verse 25. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So we're free. When we try to keep the law in our own power, in our own flesh, we fail miserably. How many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes things come to you and you try to resist and you end up falling into it. But that's because you're struggling in your own flesh. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free. You owe the flesh nothing. 
You owe this world nothing. You belong to Jesus. So Paul, Paul then explains that because of what Jesus has accomplished, we've been, and because we've placed our faith in him, we've been set free from the law of sin and death. It wasn't that the law was bad. It's just that the law showed us how messed up we were. And the more we tried to keep it, the more we failed. But Jesus came, and because of him being raised from the dead, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the spirit itself dwells in us, we can walk this life out freely. Yeah, I don't know if you guys believe that. You can walk this life out freely because the Spirit of God enables you to do it. See, there's two sets of laws. There's the law that Moses received, and then there's the law of the Spirit. Now, it's not that the law that Moses received is done away with. It's just that by the Holy Spirit, he enables us to walk according to the law of God. You're a saint of God. You're a holy one of God. And when you start looking at yourself that way, when you start thinking like that, you walk according to that. I didn't even mean to go here, but I'm here. Now, I know this is, I'm just going to go for it. How many saw the movie Trading Places? Don't be ashamed, I saw it. If you remember the movie Trading Places, Eddie Murphy was this individual living on the streets. And he was riding around on this board as if he had no legs, but he was faking it. Because he was using it as a scheme to get money from people who passed by. Well, he's too, somebody said I should do that. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, man, I got to get back in my place right now. Well, he, there was these two gentlemen in the movie. And they were rich. And they didn't have anything better to do. They decided to have this bet between the two of them. One believed that if you placed Eddie Murphy in a different environment, he would start to conform and change to that environment. The other believed that that would not happen. And so they basically took him off the streets, made him, I guess, a, a person that buys and exchanges stocks, and all of a sudden he had this house, he had access to a car, a butler, and all of these different things. Well, during the movie, he invited all of his friends that he knew from the streets to the place so he could have this huge party. But the thing about it was his friends didn't know how to act. How many have friends that they just don't know how to act? You can't take them anywhere. Well, the thing about it was Eddie Murphy was like, hold up. This is not how to treat my home and he ended up kicking his friends out. And he started to conduct himself as if he was truly 
a person that walked on Wall Street. But it wasn't so much the environment he was in, it was about how he started to think about himself, how he started to see himself. So if you start to see yourself as a saint, if you start to see yourself as a holy one, guess what? You will start to walk in holiness. You will walk as if you are a child of God. That's why the Lord said, be ye holy, for I am holy. He said that under the old covenant. He also said that under the new covenant. When I was growing up, how many remember the briefing? How many got the briefing when they were growing up? I see a few hands. Let me explain this. When I, if I explain it to you, you may figure out you got it too. My mom and dad would take us out, and we would visit with other family members, and we would like, we loved to hang out with our cousins. Well, before we left the house, my dad would look us in the eye and say, look. Oh, it's starting to sound familiar now, huh? <laughs> my dad would say, look, I don't care what you see Joey, Jerry, them doing. Remember, you belong to me. And I knew what that meant. My dad was saying, when you step outside these doors, remember how you are supposed to carry yourself. What you see the others get into, don't you get into. If you know it's wrong, my wife did this too with our kids. And, and man, I don't know if I've ever shared this before, but when she did this, it blew me away. She sat our kids down. And she said, look, don't be a follower, be a leader. She said, if you get into trouble and I have to come get you, I better found out, find out that you led them in the trouble. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> But after a while, I got it. Because she said, I don't have a problem if you as a leader are leading them into trouble because then I can direct you in the right way. But if you are a follower, now that's where it becomes difficult because you can be led astray in any way. And once you are convinced that this is the way to go, it's hard to break you from Mm. And I, I, I don't even know why I went there, but I'm, I went there. <laughs> Let's keep going. In this passage of Scripture, Paul contrasts two ways of living. Carnally minded, spiritually minded. But now that we're the sons of God and we have the Spirit of God, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We can walk the way God would have us walk. But if you notice, let's look at verse 17 in this chapter. We have the Spirit of God. He bears witness with us that we are the children of God. And in verse 17 he says, and if children, 
than heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So Paul is talking about all of this good stuff that we're the sons of God, we're the children of God, we're heirs of God, we're joint heirs with God. But then he sneaks something in there. And he talks about suffering. And he ties suffering to being glorified with Christ. He says if we suffer with Christ, we shall also be glorified with Christ. And so that's the background. Now let's get into the meat. So in verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings, whatever you're going through right now, is not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in you. Now when you're going through, it's hard to see that. It's difficult to see that. And I'm speaking from a Western perspective. When Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, Christians were undergoing actual real persecution. If you go to different countries today, like North Korea or China, believers there, real believers, are undergoing great persecution. You can be thrown in jail for just lifting up the name of Jesus. And we complain because somebody mocks us because, well, you praying in Jesus? What is that about? The sufferings that we're enduring now are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. How was Paul able to say this? Well, remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul was stopped. He was saw then. He was stopped on the Damascus Road. And he was arrested, if you will, by the Lord Jesus Christ. So he had this one-on-one encounter with the Lord. And even under those circumstances, it must have been great just to see and encounter the glory of the risen Savior. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul received the revelation of the good news from Jesus Christ himself. He said, I did not receive this from man. I received this directly from the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about him being caught up into paradise. So he got a greater taste of what was to come than the average believer what they actually get. So that's why he was able to say what he said, that the present sufferings that we endure today are not worthy to be compared to the glory, to what we shall see when we become like him. Now let's keep going. Verses 19 through 22. It says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So here's where we see this earnest expectation. It says that that actually means intense anticipation. Paul says the creation itself is eagerly, intensely anticipating the revelation of the sons of God. Let that sink in. The earth is waiting on you to become fully what God intended you to become. Now, how did that happen? Why is it that it even talks about in verse 22, groans and labors with birth pains. The earth is experiencing birth pains. Ladies, you know a little bit about that. You know a little bit about that. The earth, Jesus compared it to, or should I say Paul compared it to the birth pains that a lady goes through. Now, think about this. Now, guys, we got to kind of rely on what the ladies tell us. How many have been through intense labor? Okay. But you have the child now, correct? Do you remember the labor that you went through? I hear some, some folks is going like, now others are going, oh yeah, I remember it. <laughs> but because of the children that you have now, let me put it this way, would you go through it again? I heard some, yeah, oh yeah, I heard some. I was like, oh. <laughs> but here is the thing. Because of the joy you have in having that baby, having that child who grows up to be a, a man or a woman, it was worth it. It was worth it. At least for most of you. One of the things, too, this past week I was having a discussion with some coworkers, and this subject came up. And these guys were comparing back pain to the labor that ladies go through. I said, man, y'all don't want to do that. <laughs> this conversation better stay between us guys. Because if you tell your wife that, mm, may not work out too well for you. But we were talking about that. Here is my point. The earth is experiencing birth pains. You know what those birth pains are? Earthquakes, volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, and all kinds of other things. Here is the thing, this passage of scripture makes this statement that the creation has been made subject to us. 
That's a curious statement. Now, when did that happen? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, we're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. We know this is when Adam and Eve are in the garden and the serpent shows up, makes them doubt what God has said to them, then flat out calls God a liar, causes them to eat from the tree, causing the fall not only of Adam and Eve but of all of mankind. God comes looking for them in the garden, now, he's already, he knows what's happened. But he's like, where are you at? And they're hiding. He said, why are you hiding? We were naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree? Then the blame game starts. Adam blames Eve. Eve, she takes responsibility, but also brings the serpent into it. Anybody ever seen that cap that says, be a man, blame the wife? That's exactly what Adam did. And so God, after hearing this, of course, he pronounces judgment on the serpent. Mixed with the promises, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Then he pronounces pain for mothers and labor, that it will greatly increase. After that, in verse 17, he gets to Adam. It says, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so creation, because of the fall of Adam and Eve, has been made subject to us. So the liberty of the creation is dependent on the liberty of the sons of God. Let me narrow that down. The liberty of the creation is dependent upon the liberty of you and I. That's why it's so important for us to learn to walk as the sons and daughters of God. If you study scripture, you can see a pattern. When Israel is following God, the land is prospering. When Israel turns its back on God, the land begins to go down. God said it would get to the point that the land would vomit them out. And that's exactly what happened. Let's bring it back to our time. If you know anything about history in the Middle East, in the land of Israel, back in the 19th century, it was nothing but dust and dirt. Mark Twain visited it and said it was basically forsaken by God. 
don't come here, it's worthless. But when the children of Israel started coming back to the land, all of a sudden the land began to prosper again. The land being subject to the children of God. Let's see here. When we come into the fullness of the kingdom, we will forget what we had to endure to get there. So don't let the desire die in you. You have to keep it alive. You have to keep that light burning bright within you. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Verses 23 through 25. After talking about the groans and the labors with birth pains, he says in verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I want to stop right there. Because when you're young, you may not really understand what that's all about. Because you can get around, you can jump. I used to play basketball. could jump, 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 jump all day long. Now if I show up in the gym, I jump once and that's it. Because the older you get, the more you begin to recognize that you can't do what you used to do. But that's not how God originally created us to be. We were supposed to live forever. But because of sin, now we experience the backaches and the leg cramps and the pulled muscles and the pulled groins because you thought you were Dr. J. <laughs> Here is the thing, though. It won't stay like this. It won't stay like this. We are saved. We're being saved. And according to this scripture, our bodies will be redeemed. Yeah, give God praise on that one. You won't only be able to run like the wind, you'll be able to walk through walls just like Jesus. That's the hope that we have. Paul uses this word hope several times. It's the Greek word elpis, E-L-P-I-S, and it means the expectation of good. I want that to sink in a little bit. The expectation of good. See, in our world, when we use the word hope, it's 50-50 whether or not we'll get it. But when God uses the word hope, it's expectation. We expect God to show up. We expect God to heal. We expect God to save. We expect God to provide. We expect God to deliver. 
That's what Paul is talking about here. He also uses two words in verse 25. It says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I want to focus on these two words, wait and perseverance. It's the, word, the word wait is the Greek word, and let me see if I can get this right. Apek dekomahi. A-P-E-K-D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. And it means to fully and expectantly look for. Perseverance is the Greek word hypomone. And it means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. The characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and suffering. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, what it's saying here, because we are the sons of God, we won't be moved. You won't turn to the left. You won't turn to the right. We'll be like Jesus, and the scriptures speak of him setting his face like a flint. Just I keeping it moving. I keep going, one step at a time. When they tried to make him a king, Jesus said, no, I'm only here to do my father's business. We are here to do the business of the father. And that desire for his kingdom needs to be deep on the inside. The scriptures talk about groaning. You ever desire something so much that you groan for it? There's a churning on the inside. You just, I got to have this. I got to go after this. That's what I'm talking about. And you're going to need that kind of desire for the times that we are living in today. Here is where I, what I really want to get to. We live in some very, very dangerous times. Dangerous because of those who want to steal, kill, and destroy, but also dangerous because of the many distractions that are out there that can get you off course. If you follow Christian news, you must have heard about Christian praise and worship leaders who have renounced the faith. They've renounced the faith. That's a problem. Because if you've got Jesus Christ on the inside, I'm not talking about we can all stray because of our flesh. That can happen to a believer. But for you to turn your back on God and say, I renounce the faith, I have to wonder about the faith you had originally. Because if you've got this 
earnest desire for the kingdom of God, for his rule, his blessings, his healing, his deliverance, and all that it provides. It won't matter what's going on on the outside. It won't matter what's going on around you. You know what part of the problem is? And I'm talking specifically here in the West. We get spoiled. Instead of aspiring for things in the kingdom, we set our hearts on things here in this world. Now, there's nothing wrong with earthly aspirations. Don't get me wrong. But that's not what you should set your heart on. Your heart should be set on the King of kings and the Lord of lords and receiving the kingdom that he brings. Because no matter what you aspire to and no matter what you accomplish in this world, one day you're going to die. And you can't take your job with you. You can't take your money with you. You can't take your spouse with you. You can't take your children with you. It's just going to be you. You can't even take this body with you. That's actually a good thing. That's why the Apostle Paul said, set your eyes on things above, not here beneath. Some of us, and, and I, I have to lay the feet at the pulpit, too many of us have made the kingdom of God about getting things in this life. We've made the preaching of the gospel about gaining things in this life, not recognizing that if all Jesus did was deliver us from the pits of hell, that would be enough. Now, don't get me wrong. God blesses us here on this earth. He does. But our hearts need to be set on his kingdom and that which is to come. In all actuality, it should be set on the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's where our hearts should be. What characterizes, well, actually, I want to test your knowledge here. I want to ask you, does this quote sound familiar to you. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. And I had to look that word up. It means unbelief. Just, just should have said unbelief. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. How many remember that quote? Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. I tried to read that book as a kid, and I never got past the first chapter. <laughs> but I do remember that quote, because that's what starts off chapter one. But you know, that perfectly describes our nation today. 
We enjoy the greatest of technological advances, but we're using them for the darkest of purposes. We're in the midst of one of the greatest economic booms in our history, but we're over $22 trillion in debt. And that's never going to be paid off. We enjoy the greatest means of communication ever, but too many of us don't know how to talk to each other. Suicides are increasing at an alarming rate, especially among young people. In our nation, though, we have so much to live for, or you would think. Mass shootings are becoming all too commonplace. We are no longer moved by the murder rates in cities like Baltimore or Chicago. That one hits home. What happened yesterday in Odessa Midland, I just wept. I'm not going to lie. I cried. But then I think about what happens every weekend in Chicago where I grew up, and we're not even moved by it. Ten people dead, 30 people shot. You hear statistics like that all the time coming out of cities like Baltimore and Chicago. Our politics are at a boiling point, and the temperature is continuing to go up. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And here is something. I normally don't like to mix the pulpit with politics, but I'm going to tell you something. I think those days are over. Because the politics is leaking into the pulpit. And as preachers, we aren't going to have any choice but to deal with the politics. Because the day is coming where they want to tell me, tell pastor, what to preach from the pulpit. That day is coming. It's already in certain parts of the West right now, like in Canada. It's coming. But see, here is the thing. It's time to soldier up. It's time to armor up. It's time to fight, y'all. I know that's not something we normally want to hear coming out of a believer's mouth, but I'm not talking about this kind of fight. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. I'm talking about getting down on your face before God. I'm talking about proclaiming the promises of God over your life. I'm talking about being willing to suffer for the cause of the king and his kingdom. I have a question. Are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to lay your life down? So you got to be careful how you answer that question. Because if you aren't willing to suffer, or should I say surrender your life to Christ now, 
What makes you think you're going to be willing to literally lay your life down if it calls for it? You have to think about this. These are the times that we are living in. My generation may not see it, but young people, hear me. If we don't see it, it is coming your way. That's why it's time to armor up now. It's time to soldier up now. If for no other reason, to set the example for the soldiers that are coming. There are some things we have to avoid if we are to fulfill our call. We have to avoid the love of the world. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. I want to read that. First John chapter 2 starting at verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You remain forever. And guess what? Your works will follow you. Secondly, we have to avoid deception. Turn with me to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is giving signs concerning when Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed and what will happen in the last days. There's one thing he mentioned several times. Starting with verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. Or should I say, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Skip down to verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Go down to verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, we're the elect. We must avoid deception. That is difficult to do. How many people use Facebook, Instagram? If you use any of these things, you get all kind of deception all the time. And the bad part about it is, some of it comes from other believers. Spreading stuff that they ought not spread. 
We had a friend that says, not everything that comes to your mind should come out of your mouth. Not everything you receive from Facebook should you pass on to other people. Because when you do it, you're only participating in the deception, in the lies, in the backbiting. Some of the stuff we see, it is evil. So please, use exercise discernment. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be wrapping this up pretty quickly here. 2 Timothy. But I want you to know I follow pastor's example, so if I'm up here a little bit longer. (laughs) 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. And guess what? The Apostle Paul is not just talking about unbelievers. We got so-called believers that are perpetrating. Those are the folks to truly avoid. Because as believers, we know not to follow unbelievers, or we should know that. But it's those who say that they're believers, but are living like the Apostle Paul describes here. Those are the ones we are to avoid. Lastly, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because there's something that I want to share here. 2 Thessalonians 2, I'm going to start at verse 7. And I'm going to read down to verse 12. It says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Read that again. God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The battle that we are in is for the truth. 
This is the fight of the age. It is for the truth. Please believe me when I tell you that is what this is ultimately about. Will you believe the word of the living God or will you believe man? Will you believe Satan? Will you believe your circumstances? Will you follow how you feel? That's the one that gets us in trouble all the time, following how we feel. But you know, your feelings change. But the word of God remains the same. Don't be led by how you feel. Don't be led by what you see. Be led by the Spirit of God and his word. You must become skilled at that in these times. Hear my heart. There is so much going on right now. Parents, learn to navigate this and then teach it to your children. Because souls are at stake. The kingdom is at stake here. This all goes back to keeping that desire, that earnest expectation alive in your heart and in your belly, in your gut. Keeping it alive. You must work to keep it alive. First Lady, one of the things that she mentions all the time, because this can still, it can still it, is busyness. Being too busy. That's a trick of the enemy. He wants us to be so busy that we forget to pray. We forget to get into the word. We forget to pray with our children, with our spouses. We forget these things. And when we forget those things, guess what else you're forgetting? You're forgetting who you are and who you belong to. Stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come on up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We talked about this hope, this desire to keep alive in your hearts and in your bellies. But guess what? That's for believers. There may be someone or someones in here. You don't have that. Because you've never given your lives to Christ. Your sins are not forgiven. And if you died on this evening, heaven would not be your home. If that is you, I want to make my appeal to you right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. 
to have your sins forgiven and to receive eternal life as well as the kingdom. If that is you in here and you sense the Spirit of God tugging at your heart, I want you to raise your hand. I see a few hands. But what I want you to do right now is I want you to come forward. There are people here at the front who will pray with you and who will lead you to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't be ashamed. Come forward. Come forward. Thank you, Lord. Keep coming. Are there any more? Praise God. Now, if you once had that desire to go after God with all you've got, but it's kind of died down. The flame is going out, but you want to stir it up again, but you want to pray with someone to get that fire back in your belly. If that is you, I want to encourage you to come forward right now. There are people here who will pray with you. people up front. 